right, any Queen fans in the house? Huh? Woo! I want it all, and I want it now. I mean, it is a national anthem of sort. It's lived out in the people's lives all across this country. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And what now? Yeah. Yeah, we're concluding our series uh, top 10. Uh, as David said, we've survived the series top 10, I guess. We've been uh, looking at God's top 10, 10 rock solid values for living. This final commandment, it's a little bit different than our other commandments. The first nine really dealt with our behavior. The last command, uh, it addresses kind of what I'll call an attitude or an outlook on life. I think, uh, in all honesty, we have a hard time calling this tenth one a sin because it's so tethered to our times, it's kind of integrated into the cultural fabric. You shall not covet. I mean, covet means to have an obsession for someone else's possessions. You know, when our needs kind of feed our greeds, so to speak. And I know as we kind of start here, some of you may be thinking, well, I, I guess that means we're supposed to be desire-free. No, that, that kind of thinking is wrong. Desire is not the issue. We are to be goal-oriented in our lives. We're to be vision-minded. We're to uh, achieve in our lives. And it's okay to have stuff. The fact is, desire is God-given. And so you go, okay, what's God driving at? Well, God's saying that your desires, whatever they are, if left unchecked, can turn into a raging fire in your life. In other words, our unchecked desires can cause us to uh, covet in life. It's I want it all and I want it now mentality, that kind of mentality is what messes us up. Our, our, our culture kind of cuts its teeth on consumerism. And I know that it's kind of trendy these days to say things like, well, I want the simple life. You know, I'm scaling back in, in my life. And, and people say that, but then they're out shopping at Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus. They're carrying their uh, Dooney Bork uh, purse or they're sporting their boss attire or whatever. When, when you look at culture, I mean, when you really take a look, I think it's hard to find people that are not pursuing. It's hard to find people that are actually pursuing a simple life. In other words, I would challenge it and say that talk's cheap. We live in a society that sings the anthem, I want it all, I want it all, I mean, I want it all, and I want it now. And I believe that our session today is tailor-made for our culture, that we are into covetousness, you know, that, I mean, aren't we, if we're honest? You know, what is it that catches your eye? I want it. You know, what is it that, that sparks desire inside you, makes you a little bit vulnerable to say, well, I want it now? 
I mean, what, what is it that kind of challenges your desires and ultimately they become those raging fires in your life? What is it that causes you to tread on the 10th commandment? You know, maybe it's a, a house, maybe it's a car, maybe it's a particular job or it's, uh, you know, a tire, maybe it's a trip, maybe uh, for some of you it's some antique that you want to possess. I don't know what it is for you, but the fact is we all have our things and the truth is that that desire, whatever it is, if it's left unchecked, can turn into a fire in your life. Now, here's the remainder of the verse, and I'm going to read it. Every time I read this verse, this is kind of how I read it uh, when I'm studying. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Okay, I'm good on that. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse. I'm good on that. Or male or female servant. I read that, and I go, irrelevant. It doesn't make sense in my life. Ox or donkey, I'm really good on that. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe if they put uh, Beamer and uh, Mercedes or something like that, I might. But. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor, that's where it gets in my grill. That's where it gets in my face. You know, when, when you covet something, what happens is, hey, that's nice, turns into, I want it, and I want it now. Do you covet anything? In fact, say the word covetousness with me, all right? Covetousness. It's hard to say, isn't it? It's even harder not to do. I mean, would you agree with that? And today, to kind of help us remember this, I'm going to go a little Dr. Seuss on us, and I'm going to talk in rhymes to to help us get a handle on this whole issue of coveting. And we're we're going to look at how do how do we overcome how do we overcome that urge to covet? And when we're surrounded by bling, I mean, it's all around us. And so, how do we do that? Well, first, we have to learn to admire without the acquire. In other words, what is it that turns your heart? What is it that turns your head? What is it that you need to be able to look at and and go, I like that. That's great. You know, I'm good for you. I'm glad you got that. Without it transitioning into I want it now. Again, without a little bit of check and balance in, in our lives, that simple admiring, if you're not careful, it shifts, doesn't it? And you start acquiring. You know, we begin to to covet in our lives. And when we covet, what happens is you spend a lot of time and energy and resources trying to get. You know, we're trying to get. And to be all just honest about it, most of the stuff that we're trying to get in the grand scheme of things, will mean absolutely nothing. I mean, in eternity, it's going to mean nothing in our lives. 
It's fascinating when you look at the history of sin. You know, Scripture, if you look at uh, Isaiah, the 14th chapter, you kind of see a bibliography of Satan. He's called Lucifer, the morning star. And we're told in that chapter that he was in charge of worship day and night. That's what he was in charge of, to, to lead the angels and worship to God. And then one day, he had a desire. He wanted the throne. And so that desire turned into him pursuing, trying to, to acquire. Scripture says this, verse 13, it says, You said to yourself, this is what's going through Lucifer's mind. He goes, I'll climb to heaven. I'll set my throne over the stars of God. I'll run the assembly of angels that meets on sacred Mount Zephon. I'll climb to the top of the clouds. I'll take over as king of the universe. But you didn't make it, did you? The evil one wanted to nudge God out. He wanted the throne that God sat on, king of the universe. And because he coveted that, he gets booted out of heaven. In fact, not only does he get booted out, but a third of the angels get booted out. It's an ancient sin But it's a sin that all of us, every one of us, we struggle with it in our lives. And I'd be lying if I stood here today and said, I've got number 10 under control. This command is a sin that all of us struggle with on some level or another. You know, advertisers, uh, marketers, They spend billions, especially this time of the year, trying to get you to drop your guard for just a second, just a moment, get you to to just take that step across. I mean, ad executives are dreaming and scheming about ways to get you to covet in your life because they know if you love it, you covet. You go from wow to I want it now. And the next time, I just challenge you, the next time you see an ad, a commercial, and you begin kind of obsessing, you know, it fires up your desire, and you want to own that, I challenge you to learn to admire it without the acquire. Here's the second thing. We have to make a confession about our obsession in, in life. Have you ever felt that fire of desire? I can't believe they got that promotion. Which under it is, I should have got that promotion. I can't believe they live in that house. I can't believe they're having a baby. I can't believe it, whatever it is, and it fires up our desire. And when you start burning inside like that, I like the line in the, in the song that they just sang. It says, I got to shake you to the ground, just give me what I know is mine. You know, whenever you begin blaming God, I deserve that. 
as much as they do. You know, when we start kind of wallowing in self-pity, I call it the moan zone. You know, just don't go there. You know, the Bible tells us to make a confession about our obsession. We all, we all have it. We all have that, that thing that, that we obsess about. All you have to do just, if you do a broad scan of Scripture, you discover you really don't deserve anything. I mean, I don't. I'll tell you what I deserve. I deserve a Christless eternity. I deserve hell. I deserve to be separated from God because of my sins. But friends, I got it made. I'm a child of God. I mean, you're a child of God. The fact is, I've got clothes on my back. I've got food on my table. I've got a roof over my head. I've been forgiven. I have eternal life. I have the power to overcome sin because I'm a son of God's. And it is an incredible deal, but I don't deserve it. But God gave it to me anyway. I mean, who, who are we to doubt God's goodness? I mean, who are we to question God when it comes to the stuff that we have? God, I can't believe you helped them and not me. You know, I can't believe that they got that inheritance and not me. I can't believe they get to drive that car. Why not me? Friends, give me a break. The fact is, it, it's sad. But it's easy to do, and we've all done it. I mean, when you feel that raging fire, I would challenge you, just remember, make a confession about your obsession. You know, Paul writes this, uh, he's writing to Timothy, says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. In other words, Paul is telling young Timothy, he says, you brought nothing in, And guess what? You're taking nothing out with you. You start with zero, and you end with zero. I want you to imagine if this stage, if it was a continuum, all right? And so down here on this side, you get a giant zero when you come into the world. Nothing. And at the other end, it's when we say goodbye to this planet, You have zero. So you get it? Double zeros. The first zero represents birth. In other words, Damon Lee Talkington, 070462. I was born naked, no clothes, no wallet. I didn't have anything, nothing, zero. I'm not going to show you pictures, but just trust me, all right? We're, We're born with nothing. And then one day, only God knows, I will take my last breath and I will die. And I don't care how much health food I eat, how much I exercise, I'm going to die. I'm born with zero and I will die with zero. And here's what trips us up from a humanistic standpoint. As we develop along the continuum, we think, I've got to accumulate stuff. That's the deal. That's what life's about. 
That's the way you score points in this life. And so we begin collecting stuff. And we start pretty young. And we're collecting stuff. And then there's a point where we start comparing the stuff that we're collecting. You know, hey, check out my possessions. Whoa, look at my portfolio. I have a lot of stuff. Look at my stuff. Isn't this cool? I got all this stuff. But we die and we end with zero stuff. Heard a good story about a real wealthy man, and uh, he was near death. He knew he was going to die, so he was praying, and he was praying every, every day, you know, hour upon end, just saying, you know, I want to take some of my stuff with me. I want to take my stuff with me. And the prayers were so fervent that an angel appeared to him and said, I heard your prayer, but you can't bring it with you. He says, well, just ask God to bend the rule. Just this one time, just go and ask him. And so he kept praying. And so the angel reappeared to him. He says, well, this is a first, but God's decided you can bring one suitcase full of stuff. So he fills his suitcase full of gold bars. The guy finally dies. He gets to the pearly gate. He's carrying his suitcase, and St. Pete catches him at the gate. He goes, uh, you can't bring that in here. He says, I have permission from God. You need to go check with God. He gave me permission to bring one, one suitcase. And so he said, well, I'll get back to you. He went and saw God and came back. He goes, yeah, you're right. He goes, now I'll need to look at the contents before you come in. We'll have to log it. He opens the suitcase up and kind of stared at it for a moment. He goes, really? You brought pavement with you? All right, if you didn't get that, turn to your neighbor. They'll explain it. Uh, streets of gold, okay? <laughs> I've been in ministry 30-plus years now. I've done a lot of funerals in that time. And every once in a while, I'll be at a funeral, and I'll hear people talking off to the side, and, and someone will say something to this extent. They'll go, how much did they leave? And there's something in me. I've never done it, but I, there's part of me that wants to walk over and go, excuse me, I couldn't help but hear your conversation. The answer to your question is they left it all. They left it all. Friends, it is amazing to me how duped we are. We start with zero, and we're going to end with zero. You know, Paul says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they do not show what? Good sense. Here's the deal. There is a difference between competing with everyone and doing the very best you can with the life and the time God's given you. In other words, we should not toy with the tendency to fill the space between the zeros with stuff, with possessions. You know, we need to make a confession about our obsession on this, which kind of segues into the third rhyme here, and that is we have to change the measure of our treasure. You know, we have to shift our focus of what it means to score points in this life. 
We have to change the measure of the things that we treasure in, in this life. You know, Jesus said this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, we're to score points in things that matter. You know, we ought to be lighting up the scoreboard in heaven. We ought to be investing in things that are eternal, things that the moths and rust won't, won't destroy, things that thieves can't break in and, and steal or take from us. You know, we're born with zero. We live life, and we're going to own stuff, and stuff's okay. And we're going to have possessions. And possessions are fine. Even nice possessions, it's Okay. We're to be goal-oriented. We're to have desires. It's a God-given thing. But in light of eternity, we got to pass what I call the, the treasure test in our lives. In other words, if I'm going to do the Matthew 6 thing here, if I'm, I've got to change the measure of the things that I treasure. I've got to score points in things that really matter that'll have value in eternity. In other words, I need to be investing in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's foremost. I need to be connecting with God on a daily basis. I need to faithful, be faithful to worshiping together with other Christians as we're doing this morning, to be in God's house and just worshiping and growing. You know, I need to spend time with my spouse. I need to invest in my family and my friends. I need to be about reaching other people for Jesus Christ and, and touching their life and changing their eternity. Those are important things. And friends, we all make a choice every day where we're going to invest our lives. Again, nothing wrong with stuff, but if that's all we're about, watch out. You have to change the measure of your treasure and then we have to learn to turn resentment into contentment. I, I said at the beginning of the, the message that this 10th command, its, its core is contentment. And I want to define what contentment is not. Contentment is not, yeah, I'm content. I guess it's okay. Contentment is, yes, I'm content. Contentment is not passive, it's active in your life. You know, Paul writes this, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, notice, learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is not instantaneous. It's not automatic. It is a process. It is a maturing that you go through in your life. Contentment is something Paul says you've got to learn. And I think, well, what's Paul driving at here? Well, what Paul was saying there was a time when I wasn't content. There was a time when I wanted certain things in my life. There was a time that I resented what was happening in my life. 
But he says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content whether I've got a lot or a little. Paul says, I learned to be content when I was free, and I learned to be content when I was in prison. See, he was content with his contents, you might say. I mean, how many of you would like to be content in your life? Come on, let's be honest here. I mean, I th- I, I'd be surprised if you'd go, nah, I'm not into that. I don't want to be content. <laughs> we all, we desire it. But it's not something in the future. You have to start right now where you are. I don't care how much stuff you got, how much stuff between the zeros. You know, I hear people, they'll, they'll say things like, well, you know, when I get that raise, I'll be content. When I get this job, I'll be content. When, when we get that house, then, then we'll be content. You know, when we have kids, then we'll be content. How's that working? <laughs> when the kids get out of the house, we'll be content. When we get that car, then, then I'll be content. And friends, I will tell you, you will wish your life away. I mean, it's one of the big hurdles that the children of Israel had to, had to work through. They were not into contentment. They got into resentment, covetousness. You know, 40 years, they, they, they had been in the wilderness. They had left slavery in Egypt. They're wandering around in the wilderness. And friends, it, it was a lot of sand and a lot of rocks, and it was a desert and so 40 years, can you th- just imagine that, wandering around in the desert for 40 years? I mean, it was the boring, same old thing over and over and over. And then they entered what I call that moan zone. They started complaining. Oh, wish we were back in Egypt. You know, wish we were back. Oh, the leek and the garlic, it was wonderful. It was better to be a slave. Think about that statement. It was better to be a slave than being out here in the wilderness. And friends, I will tell you, you want to go around and around and around in your life, and you want to live in the desert in your life, and you want to be in that place where you're always complaining and hurting day in and day out, the same thing over and over, you live with a spirit of covetousness. You live with resentment. It'll get you there. See, we need contentment, but you have to learn to be content. And I don't care if you got $200 million or $200. I don't care if you run errands for the business that you're in or you're the CEO of the corporation. You learn to be content where you are and with what you have. And I think if you understand stuff, you understand just a couple things about stuff, it'll help you with this one. It'll help you start living a contented life. First of all, things, whatever it is, those things that you want, they are temporal. You know, Paul writes, he says, but we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, the stuff, the stuff we want to own, but on things that are unseen. 
What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. The things that we chase, I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Those things, they're temporal. They will not last. They will rust. They will rot. They will depreciate. God had our safety in mind when, when he gave us the 10th commandment. I mean, God wanted to save us from wasting our time. God wanted to save us all the disappointment and the pain and the suffering that things won't satisfy. And, and we think it will. And God says, I want to save you that pain. God says, possessions are fine. But remember, they're temporary. They're only part of this world. You ought to hold them loosely because someday you're going to let go of them whether you want to or not. And we need to understand that. They're temporal, and also things will weigh you down. I want it all. I want it now. And those things oftentimes will weigh you down. They come with a heavy burden. They will mess you up many times. You know, case in point, David, King David, he saw Bathsheba one day, another man's wife, and he lusted, and he had an affair. He committed adultery, and friends, David felt the weight of that. I mean, he had what he wanted, but it almost crushed him. You know, you read uh, Psalms 51, we're not going to read, but if you read that entire chapter, as you're reading it, you realize the weight. I mean, it was massive on David. And you can almost feel his desperation at points in the prayer. The Verse 17, he says, a broken spirit is my sacrifice. Say, I got what I wanted, but it's breaking me. God, you won't despise a heart. God, that's broken and crushed. In other words, he says, I'm, I'm broken. I, I'm, I'm crushed. You know, David repented. He, he asked for forgiveness. God, God forgave him. But if you read Scripture, you realize David carried the weight of that his, his entire life. You know, his family was, was plagued with rape and incest and murder and rebellion. And David many times was pointing back to, to, to that sin. I mean, David dealt with some heavy, heavy stuff. Friends, those objects, whatever they are, that, that we covet, many times will weigh us down. So we got to turn our resentment in life into contentment. And here's another one. We need to master the task of the ask. You know, I've noticed something through the years that great leaders oftentimes will ask a lot of questions. They're always kind of... Uh, probing questions that they'll throw out there. Christians, if we are going to live a life of contentment, if we're going to kick coveting, that, that, that habit out, out of our lives, we need to master the task of the ask. You know, here's what I'm suggesting, and I, I would challenge you to write down three words here, response, 
reaction, and record. First of all, ask yourself, what is my response when something turns my heart? When something turns my head? You know, what's my initial response when I see that car or that outfit or that home or that boat or that job? Does your desire turn into that raging fire? I mean, what's your initial response? I want it, and I want it now. Are you you able to kind of throttle back on this and go, wow, that's, that's nice. That costs a lot, I bet. You know, I, I wonder what the payments are on that. I wonder what the insurance is. I wonder what I'll think about that if I get that. I mean, I wonder what I'll think about that in a year, six months, two weeks. <laughs> I mean, what's your response to things? And then what's your reaction? I mean, what's your reaction when a uh, peer gets a promotion? You know, what's your reaction when somebody hits a windfall in their life and they tell you about it? What's your reaction when somebody gets a really good deal on something? See, I don't have a problem with number 10. When, like, a a coach scores big, or a teacher, or a doctor, or a lawyer, you know, I don't don't get all wigged out, and I I don't have desire kick in and go, oh, man, they got that. That's not my issue. But, friends, I feel the engines rev. I can feel that passion kick in when another pastor scores big. See, we, we, we struggle with this stuff. And we struggle with people that are like us or that are in our circles. You know, it's, it's one mom with another mom. It's one CEO with another CEO. It's one teacher or one nurse with another teacher or another nurse. Now, if you say... I'm content. You know, you could declare that today. Then I want to say, yay, yay God, yay, yay in your life. But if you struggle, uh, this is helpful advice here. If you're competing, you know, getting after someone, you know, it bothers you when they move ahead, you know, and that kicks in. If secretly, Inside your heart, you really want to see that friend, that peer, that colleague. Secretly, you'd like to see them fail, stumble. You'd kind of be happy inside if they got messed up. Here's what I challenge you with. When you feel that covet kick in, because that's what it is, I challenge you to start praying for them. Pray that God blesses them. And when you do that, when you start praying for that person that you you know you're struggling with their success or whatever it is that they've got, that somehow as you pray, this is what God does, God will turn that resentment 
into contentment as you pray for them. In other words, we need to master the task of the ask. You know, we need to pray for them. We need to ask God to to bless them, and God will bless you with contentment as a byproduct of it. Record? What's my record? What's my record? You know, in other words, how are you scoring between the zeros? What do you consider scores in your life? Are are you just scoring points with stuff, possessions? You go, oh, I got this, got this, got this, got this. See, that's, I want it all. I want that, I want that, I want that now. It's easy, it is too easy in this life to get into the competitive thing. You know, scoring, keeping records. And you keep doing that, you'll, you'll miss out on life. You will just miss out on it. You'll miss out on what God wants to do in and through your life. It is not a competition. We are uniquely made, every one of us, uniquely made, one of a kind. You know, you hear me talk about we are fearfully, wonderfully made. Your creator made you with specific gifts and talents and skills. And friends, God wants you to be content, but you got to be content with the contents, what you have. you got to be content with the things that, that you're scoring, that you consider scores in your life. You know, we ought to be lighting up heaven with the things that you can't really see. See, I want to be a person uh, that's known for love. I want to be a person of grace. I want to be a person that people go, he's tender. He'll meet you where where you're at. I want to reflect the true nature and the character of God in my life. That's what I want. And I want it now. And my question is, what is it that you want? I will tell you, life is not about possessions. It's not about what you own. It's about who possesses you, who you belong to. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. And that's what matters. That's what will matter when you get to the end. So there you go, God's top 10. 10 commandments. They were so important that God personally wrote them in stone, stone tablets. 10 rock solid values for living. And friends, we are to love those commandments. We're to live by those commandments. And we're to obey those commandments. Parents, you should be teaching those commandments to your children. And we should be teaching them to people in this world, people around us, not going up to people and go, hey, don't covet. God says don't covet. Don't lie. No. You teach them by the way you live so that people look and go, they got something I need in my life. Let's stand for for a word of prayer. Our holy God,
God, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that uh, everything your word says that we would uh, we'd take it to heart. And that we'd obey it and we'd live it. God, we all struggle, all of us. God, I forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we get sidetracked. Forgive us when we just leap into the abyss. You know, we mess up our lives, we mess up other people's lives. God, forgive us. God, I pray that your word would be a light in our lives that would make our path straight, that we would live a life that honors you with all we say and do. And God's people said, amen. Let's worship together.